Uh, we will be in the book of Amos. Uh, Amos is in the Old Testament. We are going through the minor prophets uh, in the Old Testament, uh, not because their message was uh, not as uh, strong as the greater prophets, but uh, because it was shorter uh, in length of messages that God gave them, which is recorded for us uh, to uh, read and have understanding. So we'll be in the book of Amos, specifically in chapter 4 this morning. We began two weeks ago on the book of Hosea, and we were in Joel last week, and today the book of Amos. This year, earlier this year, I had had surgery on my wrist, and so I have not played uh, guitar very much this year, Uh, only a few times in the last month and a half or so, but I still have calluses on the tips of my fingers. Uh, Not as much as when I'm playing constantly, but um, in 1989, I began to learn to play the guitar, and I practiced about 30 minutes a day, and the calluses became quite thick to the point that over the years, uh, when you cannot feel well, you would actually trim them with clippers or sand them down because you can't feel the heat, you can't feel something sharp, Uh, you can't play as skillfully as you would like uh, because you can't feel well. Uh, Some of you have calluses on your hands, like me, because you wear a wedding ring, and you've got a callus right here that has uh, been there for uh, uh, 20-plus years. Some of you have calluses on your feet because the way your feet are shaped and your shoes don't fit well. Some of you have calluses because you've been working in the gardens this summer or whatever work you do. But those of you who have calluses know that you cannot feel very well with them, and it's a hardening or a thickening of the skin from repeated friction. It's interesting that Webster's Dictionary uh, describing what a callus is is not only the physical part of uh, the skin being hardened, but it includes this with the dictionary. Being calloused is also feeling no emotion or showing no sympathy, or the word used there is hard-hearted. Now, sometimes uh, people buy callus removers to remove calluses uh, from their bodies, specifically their feet or their toes. But there is no callus remover that you can purchase for a calloused, hardened heart. And what we see in the book of Amos is God calling people to return to Him and to have their hearts that are calloused towards Him and cold towards Him softened. And so my question for you this morning is, do you have a calloused heart to the Lord? Is your heart cold or growing cold towards the Lord? Is God working upon you? Has he been working upon you and calling you to return to him as he called the nation of Israel to return to him? Amos the prophet He prophesied during a time of great peace and prosperity for the nation of Israel. And that the Israelites, especially the northern kingdom, had become quite wealthy and had very many material things. And during that time, they did exactly what we saw the last two prophets warn of, is do not forget the Lord your God. The people of Israel had forgotten the Lord and they boasted in their own strength because of what they had, and they did not boast in the Lord. Amos was sent to call the people with calloused hearts back to repent and turn to the Lord. Therefore, 
the scriptural truth we see this morning from Amos chapter 4 and from the book of Amos is turn to Jesus Christ, who is the only one who is able to save you from your sins and prepare you to meet your God. Would you look with me at Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 13? Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And here is the word of the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead. And you shall be cast into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there, there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name, the word of God. Again, Father, we thank you for blessing us with your word. And we ask now that you would give us an understanding of your word that we may live according to it. In Jesus' name, amen. When we read through the minor prophets, as the last two we saw, there was not much description or knowledge about Hosea and Joel. But Amos, he tells us a lot about his life. You can read in chapter 7 and 8 and in chapter 1. He's from the town of Tekoa, which is about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. The name Amos means burden or being a burden. And we know that the times that he prophesied were also the times that Jonah and Hosea and Isaiah also prophesied to the nation of Israel. We read that he tells us that he was a shepherd and that he was also a farmer of sycamore trees, a fig tree farmer. 
He prophesied between 765 and 750 B.C. And he specifically prophesies and speaks to the nation of Israel and specifically the northern kingdom. The two great sins which God tells him to call out to the nation of Israel as you read the book of Amos is the social injustice that was happening among the people of God and again, as with all the prophets, the idolatry in which the nation of Israel were worshiping other gods, specifically the idol of pleasure and the idol of prosperity take place during this time of peace, that there was a lot of gaining of wealth and material possessions by the people of the northern kingdom. And this is what we see in which he calls out of chapter 4. And therefore, the first point, he says, you materialistic people, you materialistic people. And God threatens judgment upon the nation of Israel and disaster because of their unjust treatment of the poor. The social injustice going upon among the nation of Israel and their care for the people around them was opposite from what God had told them to do and to abide in the same way that He is holy and that He is right and that He is just. And so He says in verse 1, look with me of chapter 4, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. And some of you then followed along in that verse and saw that he was calling the women, the wives, cows of Bashan. You said, what a horrible statement. You calling those women cows? Well, you need to know that it's a different type of description than today if we called a woman a cow. Um, Not a pleasing thing now and not necessarily a pleasing thing then. But the cows of Bashan were known because they were taken care of well. They were fed well. They were cared for. Just like in today, if you had an Aberdeen Angus or a Scotch Highland or a Wagyu, these cattle that I read about this week, they're cared for. The veterinarian's always there. They're having the best uh, feed and they're taken care of so that that when they are sold and when they are slaughtered, that they are the best meat that you can get. Here he says, you cows abation. And he calls these women who are self-indulgent, who are pampered ladies, who are crushing the poor, and the material things are of such great importance to them that they command their husbands, bring me my wine, bring me my chocolates, bring me these things as I sit in my hot tub and relax. And they want these extravagant things because wealth has risen to the greatest importance in their life. And it's just like today, not calling out women, but calling out our world. Materialism in the United States of America, in Missoula, Montana, runs rampant. Turn on your TV, see the commercials that you see, that you are brought before you. Your children are constantly wanting the next thing when they go to the store. Because commercialism has become great at marketing to you and I that we need our stuff. 
and therefore we're going to do whatever we want to invest our money, to spend it, to get whatever it is, even if we have to steal or if we have to uh, oppress another person to get ahead in our jobs, to get ahead at school, to cheat on a test, to steal from our boss, whatever it may be, so that we can have our stuff, so that we can have joy. That is a great lie that this world presents to you and I. That if we just have that next thing, if I can add this to my stuff collection, then I will be joyful and I will be fulfilled. And this is what God calls out upon the, upon the nation of Israel. They've become wealthy and it's in a time of peace and they're oppressing the poor, which God has told them how to care for. And so it's a great temptation for us to withstand seeking more stuff that we would amass because as Jesus teaches us that everything that we have has been given to us, we are to be a good steward of it and everything we have, material in this world, will rust, it will dissolve, moths will eat it and you cannot have it and you will not take it with you into eternity but we will have the eternal blessing for God's people with him in a new heavens and a new earth. <clears throat> as he calls out the women, they're not submissive, as First Peter chapter 3 would say. They want to control their stuff, and they want to control their husbands. And if you read through the book of Amos, you'll see not just the women, but the nation of Israel are oppressing the people who do not have what they do not have <clears throat> And I think the greatest temptation for you and I with material things and wealth and money is that if we have that, um, then everything will be good. If I just have this for my family, <clears throat> if I just have this amount in my bank account, if I have this retirement, then things will be great. And then that dark day comes and you lose everything. And what happens your trust in those things have completely destroyed your life. When God says, you should be trusting me because God owns it all. And anything and everything you do have is because he's given it to you. So let me make it clear that we do not read in scripture anywhere that to have wealth is wrong. Again, we know that God gives what we have. But we also know that Jesus warns those who are rich, those who have much, the temptation to not trust God, the temptation to not be a good steward and be found faithful when God returns to see what you have done with what he has given. There is a temptation for us to lord over others so we can have more. And so what Amos declares in God's word, he says this, and look with me at verse 2 and 3. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness. Now when you see that God swears by himself, very rarely in scripture does he ever swear by himself. Here he swears by his character, specifically he swears by his holiness. He says that behold the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. What's he speaking of here? He's clearly speaking of a day of judgment for the nation of Israel. 
And what he speaks of and prophesies of is where it's also prophesied in other places of Scripture that God would send the nation, the Assyrians, upon the nation of Israel. And the Assyrians would come in, and when you read historically what the Assyrians did to other nations and other people, we can, I can't even repeat it from the pulpit here. They did horrendous, destructive things, not just killing people, but torturing people, and those horrible things that they did. And the Assyrians did come upon the nation of Israel. And when they did take over the nation of Israel, they did slaughter and kill many. They did destroy the walls of the city. And what they did to the people that they took into captivity is they put hooks in their noses and hooks in their lips. And they attached a rope between the people and they drug the people out back to their capital. Imagine having a hook in your nose, a fish hook in your lip, and being tied to a rope and being dragged out of a city into captivity. This is the judgment that God said would come upon the nation of Israel. This is the judgment in which, in other places, we see that God calls the Assyrians his army. And the Assyrians did not fear him. Yet God is the one who sent this destruction upon his people. So let it be known that when we see the trouble in this world, and we're going to look at a list here of all that he sent upon the nation of Israel, the question always is like, why does bad things happen to good people? Why did this happen? Why did that hurricane just happen? Why did these people die? What happened with this pestilence that happened? Well, here we see that God sends it upon his people for the purpose of turning their hearts back to him. And it would be the warning for us, not just for the nation of Israel, that we would not be like the cows of Bashan, that we would not be materialistic, self-indulgent, prideful people that are all about me, myself, and I, but that we would be reminded from the Word of God in 1 John chapter 2. Here's what the Word of God tells you and I about stuff in this world. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 do not love the world isn't that a challenge isn't that hard because we see that thing that we want we see those stuff that we think we so need it says do not love the world that should be our heart check this morning what is it that we love in this world more then we love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says, if anyone, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from where? The world. And the world is what? What to say? The world is what? passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's the key, church. Our desires should be for Jesus Christ, our love for the Lord God Almighty, and that we would be obedient to love others, but that we would do the will of God and abide with him forever. <clears throat> so this morning, are you praying and asking, and if not, you should 
Ask the Father to protect and guard your heart from being consumed with comfort and wealth and material items and massing stuff. Pray that you would not be quick to make decisions based on pleasure or based on comfort. Because again, when you amass those things to yourself, you think you're in control and how easily God can remove it and you will find yourself in a place of disaster. Ask the Lord to protect your heart and set your mind on the things of Christ. Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, set your minds on what? Things what? Things above, not on things that are on the earth. And so we walk in this world. There's things everywhere that we see daily that are presented before us. Things we want to see. Things that we don't want to see. Things we long for. Things we don't long for. And Paul tells the church, set your mind on Christ. On things above. On the word of God. So that you would walk according to the will of God. And therefore, as Israel is called for their lack of loving God. And as we look here in a moment about their worship of God, he also calls for their obedience and their love for others. And if you turn to Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, we read of Jesus speaking of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And specifically, he says this in verse 30 through 37. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the call and the condemnation against Israel that they did not love the Lord. They forgot him. They were happy with what they had and they oppressed the poor. They did not stand for the justice of God. Therefore, as Jesus points out this parable about the Good Samaritan, let us be people who love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let us be people who, like the Good Samaritan, care for those in need and that we would show them the love of Christ. In verses 4 through 5 in Amos chapter 4, God calls out through Amos their worship. And he he calls them, you false worshiping idolaters, is what he really titles them as. And we see in verse 4 through 5 that God is is calling out their gathering of corporate worship. 
the things that they did supposedly to worship God, and that they were arrogant in this. If you look at, if you look at Amos chapter 4, if you turn over to chapter 5, a page, in verse 21 through 24, here's, what's he, here's what he says about basically their, their church attendance, their church gathering, their worship services. He says in verse 21 of chapter 5, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I went to church Sunday morning. I went to Sunday school in Chobay's class afterwards. I showed up early for the prayer group. I came back at 5 o'clock when no one else did and came to the church service. And I was in a small group Bible study this week. And I showed up and I did some service at that event that they did out at the, you know, on Halloween and handed us. I did all those types of things on and on and on. Again, the people were priding themselves in religious activities, and God is rebuking them for their so-called worship. Because what they did, as he calls out in verse 4 and 5, and he also does in the book of Amos, is that why they, what they did religiously was so that they could get something out of it, and they were not doing what God had called them to, to, to worship him He says, come to Bethel, verse 4, and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every every three days. These people were doing religious things. They were offering sacrifices to the Lord. And God would not accept it. Do you gather here this morning to get something from the corporate gathering of God's people Are you here to get something from God? That is really the question you must ask when the people of God gather to worship Him. When we pray, when we sing, when the Word is preached or taught, is it about what we are gathering to get from this time? We are consumers whether you agree with me or not. And we live in a world, not just a nation of consumerism. And you have been raised from a very young age to consume. And therefore, the danger is that you gather in the name of the Lord to worship Him, but instead, your heart is set on consuming during this time. The worship of God, when we read in Scripture, is about Him. It is not about us. We simply are commanded to worship Him because we love Him. And we are told how to worship Him in the Word of God. The corporate gathering of the body of Christ is for Jesus Christ, His name, the King of Kings. It is not for us. Yes, we benefit greatly from the corporate gathering. We are commanded in Hebrews not to forsake the gathering of the body of Christ. And so we are to gather together. We are commanded to worship the Lord. But the worship of God is for Him, and it's not 
meant for us. And you say, yeah, but I'm so blessed by it. Yes, because we are blessed when we gather to worship the Lord. We are blessed by God speaking to us from His Word. But do not mistake that worship is for God and not for us. I fear that in the church today, worship songs have become an idol for Christians. I have a fear that music that is sung in churches has become an idol for me, myself, and I instead of songs, hymns, spiritual songs are for the worship of God. And the reason why do I say that? It is amazing over the years in ministry the number of people who change churches because of songs. I don't like this church does all hymns. I don't like this church because they do all praise songs. I don't like this church because they have a band. I don't like this church because they have an organ. I don't like this one because they have no instruments. And on and on. I'm amazed that that comes out of the lips that people would actually admit that. Because it shows that music has become an idol. Now, I love all types of music. I, I would, it would be amazing to have a, a, a huge orchestra here that would play music skillfully as Psalm, what is it, 30-something says, to play skillfully for the Lord. I love having a full band. I love hearing an organ with all of its pipes blurring. But to think that we could also gather and just sing without any instrument whatsoever for the praise and the glory of God should show us and should guard our hearts that we would not place a style of music as an idol in our life. That if it is rooted in Scripture, if we are singing the verses that we see in the Bible, then it's about God and it's for worship for Him and not for us. I fear that many times we listen to Christian radio because we feel good about it. We like the music. And to ask the question, does this song actually declare praise to the Lord or, as many Christian songs today, are written about me, myself, and I? And over and over and over, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. Yes, God loves me. But are we following the purpose that God gives us for His Word to sing praises to Him? <clears throat> Don't choose a church because of music style or because the pastor is funny or they show enough videos there or because they have this program for me. You should be led by the Holy Spirit to be among the people of God because the people of God are gathering to worship God and not to follow after false things in this world. <clears throat> Again, sometimes some of these things make people upset. But it's this, the truth of these things that we would plainly look at. <clears throat> some churches use smoke and lights, and lasers, and some people love that. And the reason they do it, as I've been told by some, is so that people would have an experience like Isaiah did when they saw him seated on the throne. And let me say this, smoke and lasers and lights off or on or videos or anything is not at all one percentage of the holiness of God that Isaiah saw. So is it wrong to have those things? If those things are meant for us to get something out of worship, 
then I would say, yes, they are wrong. If it is to direct us to the praise and glory of God, then amen, and therefore let it be. But I've also heard people leaving churches, going to other churches because they had to have the lights on or they had to have the lights off or the volume had to be this or it had to be that or they had to have my donuts when I walk in. And they didn't have maple bars at that church. <clears throat> they didn't have Starbucks coffee or they didn't have this, you know, all these things there. And on and on the list goes because we're consumers. Do you hear God calling through, the, through Amos, the people, your worship is not worship. Your, your false worship is idol worship is what he tells the nation of Israel. And so the questions that we should ask ourselves is how do we prepare to gather with the people of God? All week long, what are we doing, church? Are we preparing to gather for the name of God? What do you do Saturday night is it stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning and then you can't even stay awake when you gather? What is Sunday morning like? I find that it's a great temptation, especially for families or couples and there's fights and arguments and you get in the car and everyone's screaming and yelling and then you've got to put your church face on and walk in here. You laugh because you know it's true. <clears throat> Earlier this year, our family, we, we were going to go, we were, we were off on vacation so we went to go visit a church and and, and my wife and I, we always talk about it on Sundays. It's like the family, like she's a single mom because I get here early. We set up stuff and the family comes. And so we all got together and we're like, we're going to church together. And we literally closed the door and there was arguments that just exploded in the car. And I was like, is this what it's like every week? She was like, no, but it was like, these things happen. How do you prepare to come to corporate worship, to worship God it's one of those things that I would encourage you to pray and think about. Israel had calves made so they could worship. They had strange things that they burnt, Aaron's sons did, where they were burnt up, this strange fire. On and on, the nation of Israel would do things which God did not command them to do in corporate worship, and God would discipline his people. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth so when we gather let us come preparing our hearts and you may be weighed down you may be sitting here this morning and everything has fallen apart in your life this week and you're like there's no way to prepare i don't know what to do today simply one of the things would be to pray and ask, and you say, but the Lord's not doing anything. Then you need the people of God. You need people to pray for you. You need to gather in this time instead of as soon as I say, hey, have a great week, see you next week or whenever, and everyone just blasts out the door. Maybe the Lord is calling you to gather and pray for one another and to encourage one another. But we read the Word of God because we're commanded to, and we gain from that for our life because of the Holy Spirit, Spirit giving us understanding. We pray because Jesus says to pray and tells us how to pray. We have fellowship together because we're called to not forsake that. We take the Lord's Supper, communion together because we're commanded to do those things and in that see what Jesus has done for us and be reminded of that. Church, let us not be false 
worshiping idolaters. Look at verses 6 through 11 of Amos chapter 4. He says to them repeatedly, you did not return to me. Look at verses 6 through 11. It's basically a food shortage. He sends upon them the famine of the land in verse 6. And he says, yet you did not return to me. In verse 7, he withholds rain from the crops. Yet you did not return to me. He sends blight and mildew upon their gardens. He sends locusts to eat their trees and their vineyards. He says, yet you did not return to me. Verse 10, he sends pestilence, disease, and he kills off their younger men in battle. And he says, yet you did not return to me. And verse 11, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, I overthrew you like Sodom and Gomorrah, yet you did not what? Return to me. Do you see a sovereign God in these verses? God is the one who sends these things upon his people to discipline them, to soften their callous hearts so that they would repent of their sins and return to him. Yet he says, I sent all these things over and over and over. I've had great patience with you and I've sent all these things upon you repeatedly, yet you did not Return to me. Last week we read this psalm, Psalm 103, verse 8, in which the psalmist says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And that's what we want, don't we? We want our God to be merciful and to be gracious, slow to anger, because I don't know about you, but I blow it and I sin. I want him to be patient with me. I want him to show me his mercy. I want his steadfast love to abound in my life. And this is what God said repeatedly to the nation of Israel that he's done. He's had patience with his people. And in all these things he used and he sent to wake them up, to soften their hearts. And he says, yet you did not Return to me. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Far right hand side of your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. Just as with Israel, God disciplined them, and there's a danger because they did not repent. There's a danger that we're going to see here at the end of this chapter here. And in Hebrews chapter 12, this is... For us, the body of Christ, the people of God today, it says this beginning in verse 5 of Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones, the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for, the, for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our what? Good, 
that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, doesn't it? Rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have tr been trained by it. Specifically, what we saw in our study of James earlier this year. Do you see that God loves his people so much that he's willing to discipline them? To send upon the nation of Israel because of his love for them all of these horrible things? And people say, who is this God that would do this? He did those things to turn his people back to him, but they continued to be stiff-necked. They continued to rebel. And some of us may wonder, why has this happened in my life? Why is this continuing in my life? Why was this allowed? And it just may be that God is or has disciplined you to turn your hard heart back to him, your heart that was beginning to grow cold, to be warmed back to him, those calluses that were being able to build up on your heart heart that he's like no I'm going to soften them just as James points out in chapter 1 or chapter 2 that all those things and those trials that come into our life are for our benefit of God bringing us through them which he promises to do and so again is your heart cold towards the Lord is your heart becoming cold because of sinfulness, because of things of the world? Is your heart becoming calloused because there's things that God has done to discipline you and you continue to blame him and to go after him and attack him instead of turning to him and repenting of sin? In Luke chapter 15, many of you know, actually it's amazing that Many in the world who don't have a regard for God know this parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. The son wants his share of his father's money, his inheritance, and goes off and wastes it and spends it, and he comes to a point in his life, and specifically in verse 17. But when he came to himself, that should be our prayer. Lord, would you... Help me come to my senses today. Come to myself. That in these areas you're calling me to turn to you. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. He says, my son was lost and now he's found. And in that, we act like the prodigal. We run off after the things of the world that we think are going to give us joy and peace and happiness and God works in ways to discipline us and to turn us back to him. And then we praise the Lord when we come to our senses. I will return to the Lord. The nation of Israel was not at that point. Now when you read at the end of Amos, the last chapter, you'll see that God returns, these people return to him and he restores them. But for a time, they don't. And the Assyrians are sent upon them. And for them, that day of the Lord is the Assyrians. 
Look at the last two verses of Amos chapter 4. Prepare to meet your God is the fourth point. Amos says the word of the Lord, Therefore thus I will do to you, verse 12, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Because they would not turn to God and meet him in righteousness, they will meet him, but it will be in judgment. If you look at chapter 5 of Amos, for some reason the people were longing and calling for the day of the Lord. And God points out through Amos, you shouldn't be asking for that day. It says this in verse 18, chapter 5, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not, not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Well, that's a scary thing. Run from a lion, and next thing around the corner is a grizzly bear. Says, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall. You're at home, comfortable, it says, and a serpent, a snake bit him. Verse 20, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? Just what we saw last week in the book of Joel. Joel said the day of the Lord is the terrible day of the Lord. We long for the day of the Lord. Jesus returning in all of his glory, and his people will see him. But for the vast majority of people who have lived on this earth, who have never turned to the Lord, the day of the Lord is darkness. The day of the Lord for them is judgment. The day of the Lord for all who are a part of, from Christ and do not believe in him, Lord and Savior, for them all they will receive is judgment of God for the sinfulness that they've committed against God and they will be cast into hell for eternity. And there in the place of hell, they will have the wrath of God the Father upon them forever. Conscious, eternal torment forever. Because they will not return. They will not turn to the Lord. They will not trust Him for any or whatever reason. And so He says, I'm going to do these things. The day of the Lord for the nation of Israel, in a sense, will be the Syrians coming upon them. He says, don't. Don't ask for that day. But if you look at verse 13, it says, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. What a glorious verse. Read Isaiah chapter 40 this week. Isaiah chapter 40 speaks of this in great detail, of the greatness of God and how God is seated above the heavens and we are like grasshoppers before Him. His greatness and His glory, it's hard to even comprehend. And here you have a short description. This week, uh, we have the whole side of our house dug out right now, trying to fix a water problem that we had this year. And so, fixing the, the, the waterproofing and the French drain and all this. And we found all kinds of horrible clay. And some of you know what I'm talking about. The clay is a bad thing here. And my kids were taking this clay that's been dried out for a few weeks and they were gathering all this up. I'm like, yeah, get rid of the clay. 
A few minutes later, two of my children were taking the clay and mixing the mud, mixing water with it. And they came out with these little volcano things they made. And I was like, they were making these little mini mountains in this clay and water. But if you think about this, when it says, for he who forms the mountains, God said, let there be mountains. There was mountains. He formed the mountains. And you say, well, no, there's a flood. Look around us. Okay, who sent the flood? The Lord God Almighty. He shapes the mountains. He makes the mountains. Think about the power and greatness and glory of God. Some of you saw the wind blowing the leaves off the trees yesterday. Not only did he create the trees, which in this time is just glorious, so the color changing, but it says that he makes, he creates the wind that blows the leaves off the trees. Church, we have a God who spoke this world into existence, who gives you the ability to even breathe right now. And he receives all of our praise and our glory. It says, even makes the morning darkness and treads in the heights of the earth. The Lord, Jehovah, the Lord, the God of hosts, heaven's army, is his name. No one can escape the coming day of judgment. The glory of God. His judgment and his wrath upon people who are not his own. At that time, when Christ returns in all of his glory, there are a people who will be spared from his judgment and wrath. And that is his church, his elect people. Those he, as we read in Hebrews, he does discipline because he loves us. But on the day of judgment, if you are in Christ, you will not be judged. You will not receive the wrath of God for your sins because someone already has done it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross and there at the cross he bore the sins of his people and he was judged by God the Father and God the Father poured out his wrath on the Son that was meant for you, people of God. And so it's there, the just judgment of God meant for you, if you are a follower of Christ, Jesus took, and he bled, and he died, and he was buried in the tomb. On the third day, he rose again from death to life, conquering Satan, conquering sin, and conquering death. And Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven where he's ruling and reigning now, and as Hebrews tells us that he is interceding for you, and he has said and promised he will return in all of his glory. And we pray and we long for that day because we love Jesus with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. And our heart's desire is that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. Christian, God does love you. And if he disciplines you, it's because he loves you. And he does not want your heart growing cold. He does not want your heart becoming callous. He wants you to love him and to obey him. Therefore, this morning, if you are a Christian, pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you the areas of your heart that are growing cold towards him. In Amos chapter 5 and verses 4 and 6, he tells the people, seek the Lord and live. Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you are not a Christian, if you are here this morning on October 16th, 2022, you have heard the gospel preached to you. You have no excuse God calls you to turn from your sins, believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Savior, and there is nothing that any of you can do to be saved, but that he's done all the work at the cross. And therefore, if you are lost in your sins, and today the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart that God is holy and you are not, and you have guilt and shame of your sin, all I can tell you is plead and ask for forgiveness and mercy of God today, and he is the one who saves. There is no special word, special class, special prayer to say. Simply call upon the name of the Lord and he will save his people from their sins. Father, we ask that in this moment where we have looked at your word and we have seen that you discipline those whom you love. We don't want to ask for discipline, but we ask that you would show us when you are disciplining us that we would turn to you and that our hearts would not grow cold. Our hearts would not become calloused. Father, we thank you that you love us before you even created us to save us through your Son and his blood shed for us. We worship you, Jesus. We praise your name, For you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We love you and we desire to walk in your ways. And therefore we pray, lead us in paths of righteousness. Give us a hunger for your word. Help us to seek after the things above and not on this earth. Forgive us of our materialism. Forgive us of our hoarding of stuff. Forgive us of our oppression of the poor. Forgive us of the things that we value and worship higher than you. Would you warm our hearts to you this morning? And Father, for all who have been here this morning, who have heard the gospel preached to them, I pray that today, for them who are lost, is the day of salvation. And that you have already began that work of salvation in them. Father, we praise you. We lift up our voices to you because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.